0: Well, welcome everyone to Next Steps Podcast, our Tuesday podcast. Today, we're recording this on Monday, so it's not live, but we'd still love your comments. Still love you to engage uh, underneath. Um, yeah, but but welcome to Tuesday, where we normally talk about the sermon from last Sunday, and we get the speaker to have a bit more of a chat about what they're hoping to get across. So yeah, but as we start, we'd like to um, acknowledge, um, we'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the First Tasmanian Peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we walk on. And we also pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and for their care for country land and sea over the past thousands of generations. Yeah. So welcome, guys. Today we've got Matt Garvin and Paul Dare. So, yeah, just um, it's, it's a pastor fest today. Uh, so <laughs> we're very conscious that we're all three middle-aged men Um Middle age. I, 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 I'm still
1: not sure if I'm ready to accept that
0: yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, and I'm, I'm ready to accept it. But um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, you can buck the system, buck against it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, we're we're a little bit not diverse enough in our demographic for today, so we apologise for that, um, and make up for it in the comments. So you can type in some questions or arguments or things in the in because We'd love a more diverse view than what the three of us will give today. Um, but we'll, yeah. So this this last Sunday, we we've been going through the passage of Matthew chapter 18, looking at the teaching of Jesus. Um, the previous week, we looked at the parable of the lost sheep and how Jesus um, puts the ninety-nine, you know, or probably safely aside, so that because his his heart is really concerned for the one that is lost, and he goes and finds the lost. Uh, and then here we we look at Matthew eight verses fifteen to seventeen, which we'll read in a minute in the New Living Translation. It's titled "Correcting Another Believer." So, but in the in the NIV, well, what does it say there? It says. Um, Dealing with sin in the church, so I'm not oh, yeah. sure. Do you guys know? Are those titles in the original manuscript, or are these put on as
1: titles? Yes, I know. Too? I know they're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Including the punctuation is also not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so people have have summarised this. Okay. So I wonder if um maybe I'll read the passage. It's just nice to go through it again, let it sink in. So I'll read this, and then Matt will ask you to take it away so dealing with sin in the church this is from the niv if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault just between the two of you if they listen to you 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 have won them over but if they will not listen take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses Um, If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, Matt, interesting passage. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, look, as I was preparing for this, I I realised as I reflect back on the journey I've had in church, I've seen this passage quoted and misquoted and uh, some significant damage done uh because of some of that misquoting. So I, I actually started the message by talking about spiritual abuse and then went through unpacking this um the passage and, and what it means and what it doesn't mean. And uh and, and I actually found it quite challenging with the, the long and the short of it is that Jesus is calling for us each to take responsibility to challenge each other and give each other feedback, to do the speaking truth in love, iron sharpens iron thing. Uh, And uh, one of the things I said was I don't think we do it. Uh, And we talked about conflict styles and how that all works. But uh, And we needed to talk about what this verse was and what it wasn't. Uh, It's clear this passage isn't about how you kick somebody out of church. Uh, It's not about that. Uh, And it's uh, not about... What people outside the church should be doing. Uh, But it, it, and that, and, and it was, that's why I felt it necessary to talk about uh, spiritual abuse as part of that. And just to get that out up front. And, and also sort of pastorally to introduce that into our language to make sure that we have a grid to be looking for when things are unhealthy as opposed to when they're healthy. And so we can know the difference. I don't know where you this, want to go with that at this stage. Well, this has come just after the parable of the shepherd and the sheep,
0: and I, I think that's pretty significant. Hmm. Um, that uh, there is only one shepherd in that in that in that parable, um, and that is Jesus, uh, who goes and and gets the one who's lost. And I feel like in this this passage about correct, you know correcting your brother or sister, helping them realize their sin. Um, is about us as sheep, just trying to encourage each other to stay in the flock and don't go running off. Um, yeah, Jesus cares for that lost sheep, and we we have a role in trying to actually spur each other on, keep each other on the straight and narrow. So yeah. It, it, so I love you. You started yeah. your sermon. Sorry, you started your sermon by saying this is more about um, redeeming or restoration. It is more about helping someone to stay on track
1: for the sake of, you know, eternity in the kingdom, these really important things. Absolutely. It's so important. And often when it's been taken out of context and used, in my view, for spiritual abuse, people have completely ignored the context and that that heart, that's kind of how I started to land the sermon at the end of it, so sort of jumping all over the place and what we did, but it is if if you work if you work through the process of this verse and somebody still says no i'm going my own way then they become one of those lost sheep that jesus cares so much about and is about to leave the 99 to go and find they're not they're not to be sources of uh hatred or you know it's not a, it's really not about excommunication you don't get a chance to not love them it does they people can define themselves out of the church that's fine but uh, this is Jesus, the the man who was known as a friend of tax collector and sinners, talking about you got to treat them like tax collectors and sinners. You know, so there's a whole other yeah, love them back layers there. Absolutely. Hmm. Okay, well, should we jump in and talk
0: about spiritual abuse? Uh, Matt, you created a sixty second short on this on Sunday that people might have seen on YouTube. Um, but yeah yeah,
1: john walk us through i did um i felt like it was helpful just to have that the definition i I pinched it by i got from a guy called scott mcknight who wrote an article in christianity today Uh, and he said spiritual abuse is a form of emotional and psychological abuse Uh, it's characterized by a systematic pattern of coercive and controlling behavior in a religious context spiritual abuse can have a deeply damaging impact on those who experience it. And it may include manipulation and exploitation, enforced accountability, censorship of decision-making, requirements for secrecy and silence, coercion to conform and an inability to ask questions, uh, control through the use of sacred texts or teaching uh, requirement of obedience to the abuser the suggestion that the abuser has a divine position uh, isolation as a means of punishment and superiority and elitism sort of the in crowd who you know have the power and those on the outside who don't uh so that's uh, a good working definition, and it's just something that we, as a church, have to be really conscious of. Because uh, you don't have to have been around too long before you can see it's so tempting, and and if people with weak egos and things get messy, it's easy to want to say, "God told me, therefore you do what I think," and that's and that that's you're in dangerous territory. Uh, when you're invoking the name of God to control somebody else. Um, So so I felt like it was important to get that out there up front.
0: Yeah, to control or coerce someone, which is basically, I mean, one of the main forms of abuse is taking away their choice or their will and and Mm. forcing yours on them. Yeah, absolutely. And in this case, using God or spiritual backgrounds to emphasise your point. Um, and and we can all jump to extreme cults where you've, you've seen this happen, but um, this this is an interesting one for us as a church to work through, uh, because I yeah I'm just conscious that even even um, we'll stick with this for a few minutes, but even even as a Sunday school teacher, if the kids are responding to what you're teaching about God enthusiastically, then. you you get excited about, oh, I think you're really getting this and, you know, that's fantastic. And it, and it, it easily becomes a place where that child actually looks for that positive reinforcement from spiritual affirmation or something and even that, that you know, that we might love a kid or we might show more love to one kid because they're responding and not to another because they're not, you know, it becomes spiritual abuse in this sense. So, Yeah it's a it's a tricky one, especially as we're about to talk about helping people keep on the straight and narrow or preventing someone from sin. What yeah. what I might call sin and what you might call sin are two different things. And that we're 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 on this um on this bit of ground that's pretty wobbly. Paul Paul, have you got anything in this area?
2: I thought I thought that most of it was um I don't know, very cultish in its description, which is okay, you know. For one of better there was a couple there. Um, I think there was a couple up front. Then I think one of them was the inability to ask questions, and the other one I think was the first one. Um,
1: Manipulation um, and exploitation.
2: Yeah, probably the yeah. Uh, actually, probably enforced accountability, censoring of decision making, hmm. and inability to ask questions. I think. They are really, really tricky when it comes to um, spiritual abuse because I think that one is in the eye of the beholder to a, a large extent. Where well, the other ones are pretty much black, in my mind, they're pretty much black and white, but they can be very much in the eye of the beholder, those ones. So hmm. some people would argue that that already happens in most churches to a certain extent. So... You know, when is it spiritual abuse as opposed to when is it running a church or, you know, or, or doing church, shall we say, not running a church. That's a bad word. When is it doing church versus when is it spiritual abuse? I think those first couple were very, its um, a very fine line. I think everybody would have a different definition of it. So it was interesting the definition of the, that you put up, Matt, in the fact that I looked at it and went, oh, yeah, I can agree with it, but I can also see where, in, a, in on itself, it's not a descriptor because it, there's so many variations in it. Hmm.
1: That was my thought. For you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's from an article from well, this guy, Scott McDonald. I, I think that the central thing is this is kind of what I said at the end if you feel like you're being controlled. Where your agency is being taken away, and your inability—you don't have the ability to respond freely of your own volition. Mm. That's that's the line. Mm. And the church has a pretty
0: checkered history in that area. Yeah, control and coercion.
1: Yeah, because it, it is—it's not—it's not simple, uh, and it can be really frustrating when you're a leader and people aren't following you, it's mm. it's much easier to seek to control than to convince yeah. people.
0: And and to... all you have to do is get a bit more clout is say that God told me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When what you might be meaning is, uh, I suspect God might be saying that you can use stronger language to get your way. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. 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 And there are other times when God does tell you things clearly and you want it to have that emphasis. So, yeah, without taking the control out of other people's hands. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's why I've it, not had many
0: experiences of that, but yeah.
1: No, to have God come down from the mountain and, and hand stuff down to you so that you're unambiguously sure mm. it's his will uh, for somebody else that that mm. I don't I don't know whether God would do that. I just, I, I don't know that God would tell me what his will is for somebody else. Mind you, I, I just now realise I did tell my wife that I thought God <laughs> was telling me we were going to get married. Yeah, uh, that's spiritual uh,
0: abuse, isn't it? Yeah, that's coercion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, although she still had free will. She wouldn't have chosen me without that. Yeah, no, she, she, she did have a free will to choose, I guess. I didn't take that. And, and, and in fact... <laughs> That was how we started our relationship, and and looking back, it really wasn't the best way to start a relationship. Um, <laughs> but there you go.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, should we move on? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so dealing with sin in the church, I actually did like the New Living Translation title better. What I said that was it was correcting another believer.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, Right, so here we go. If another believer sins, or Matt, you said you mentioned that some manuscripts say sin against you, what's the difference between those two, bit, two bits?
1: Uh, yeah, well, uh, apparently the, the historic manuscripts are rather evenly divided, divided between those two, but that the the weight, the consensus weight, and, and probably the earliest manuscripts don't have the against you on it. They just say... If a brother and/or sister uh, sins, you go and uh, talk to them, and so obviously uh, it, it takes it from being a, a you know if you feel personally affronted or personally challenged to to actually putting the weight, the pastoral weight for your brothers and sisters generally on your shoulders, as opposed to fixing up something, a, a, you know, a, a bee that's in your bonnet. So, so that's um. That's quite a significant difference, uh, and it really is uh, a fairly marked. Um, I, I, I would say I, I think this is uh, this is a direct teaching of Jesus that we markedly avoid. Uh, that that and uh, people we often talk about what is our vision for the church. We start we started this whole journey by saying uh, that Jesus has a fairly clear vision for the church and that the church would be one. Uh, And we said that these are all the things that we get in the road of it. Uh, We put that word cloud up. uh, And for those who are listening, the word cloud includes things like uh, personalities, egos, differences, pride, opinions, greed, selfishness. And uh, I remember saying that Matthew 18 contains the antidote for all that stuff. And one of the core antidotes Is that we speak the truth in love Uh, and as we do we grow up Uh, but that's um that's that's challenging Uh, it was also true i I also wanted to make clear this is one of the other things often heard matthew 18 used as a as a standard way for dealing with conflict it was never intended to be that It, it uh in the church, the standard way for dealing with conflict, if, if someone is annoying you, the, I think the template is 1 Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is only confrontation in order to help somebody else not wander away from the gospel. So mm. uh, so this isn't, you don't, the intent isn't that when every time you see someone doing something, you know, you think could be done better or differently, you should go and confront them and then go and get a brother or sister. And it's not that, uh, it's if you see them doing something which, in your view, is sin. Uh, it's a, and again, this is one of the only one of three times in the whole of Matthew where it's directly addressing behavior, sin as behavior. Uh, there are 29 times it talks about sin. This is one of the three times where where the sin is a behavioural thing. So when you see someone doing something that indicates they are stepping outside God's will or heart. Hmm. So there's a whole lot in all that. Uh, and hmm. like I said, I, I think it's stuff we, we don't have a culture of being good at.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so there's a couple of interesting bits in there. Which which I had at the top of my tongue a minute ago, but now aren't there? <laughs> but one one of them was um. Let let me think. It's coming. Um. One of them is that you have to be, have a clear understanding of what what the sin is, what you think the sin is, and how do you how do you know if you're right or not? That's so. Paul, can I address this question to you? Like, if another believer sins, well. How do you work out if they're sinning or if it's just part of your own history or makeup or attitudes?
2: How, how do you know what it, what is a is a cultural sin versus or traditional sin versus an actual sin? I think is the real issue. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's a tough one because, you know, I, you know, Matt said, I, I if you think someone has sinned you are to confront them.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, and that's a really, it's a can of worms in itself in the fact that we all have, you know, most of us admit it, we all have ideas of what a, a bad sin and a good sin is, and this is where it gets really, really tricky, you know, because um, what I mean by good sin is there's sins that you go, Oh, you know, I was doing sixty in a fifty zone, or you know, like that type of sin where people go, "Oh well," and then there's sins like murdering somebody. You know, like there's the two ends, obviously, ends of the scale in what I'm saying. But how do you, how do you actually, do you or should you judge where that sin is on the scale, hmm. or not? And I think that's sort of sort of one of the questions that need to be answered. In in you know, I'm. I don't know what the answer is. Or is it a case of if you continually see you should approach somebody? You know, like, it, it, where's where's the line? And it's an interesting but
1: question. It wasn't said... It's not said that way. It's not present continuous. It, it's uh, just... It seems to be uh, if you see an action. Uh, and uh, it does seem to be uh, if you see someone sitting... And this is where... I don't think it is um, looking for the little... Like uh, waiting just for the big ones. I think this is where the church has got this one wrong. This mm-hmm. section wrong. I think it is a culture where you say, mate, notice you're speeding a fair bit, <laughs> uh, and, and, and it doesn't. And and I, I I imagine in a healthy church you have a whole lot of conversations at that, that first level, just where you bring stuff to someone, and and they're they're big things and little things, and but and and it's just enough. Uh, to to be a correction. Hmm. But our, this is our, our culture. This is so anathema in our culture that you would confront people because in our culture it is you do what seems right to you and I've got no right to have any input on that at all, whereas here it seems like Jesus is saying, no, you, you really do need to carry the weight for each other and challenge each other. Hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you used the phrase as well on Sunday of um, that we, we sin because we are sinners, we're not sinners because we sin, and so the, the sin behaviour that comes out is because from the inside we, ha- we have sin right to the core. Um,
1: hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's Jesus' stuff about sin. You know, sin comes comes from the heart and that the, the behaviour is always a bit of an indicator, but all you, you can't give people feedback about their hearts. You've got no way of saying, "Ah, oh, this is where your sin really is." All you can say is, "I saw this, mm-hmm. and it doesn't look good." <laughs> uh,
0: one, one example for people. me. Yeah. Go for yeah. Me. One, one example, because it's always helpful to not be hypothetical and all this, um, is uh, I was running a charity in the UK. I was working with a guy, uh, a friend of mine, Tim, and he he just um, gently came up to me one day and he said. Dan, I notice that you keep saying you'll do this and this, um, but then you don't do it. You're not following through with what you say you will do. Um, mm. Now, you don't have to call it a sin. You could just call it bad management. But the actual effect of it was that it was preventing people from trusting my word. It, it was mm. it was affecting work and relationships. Um, now, I still fight that battle because part of my character type is a, I'm a bit of a yes man, and, and then I'm also disorganized. Those two things don't go well together. Um, but but uh, for, for him to be able to take me aside and say, look, I just noticed you keep saying that you would do this and then you don't do it. And when you do that, this is how it makes me feel. Or, the, you know, and, and that, that was a, a re, I'd call that a rebuke. Um, and it was someone trying to help me to actually stay on the path for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of others yeah. around. The The goal was quite clearly the kingdom, because I was doing mission work. Uh, and and he saw that as a goal, and he wanted me to walk in that way. Yeah. So that was that was a really helpful example of this. Matt, you you said a you said a couple of times um, yesterday and today that as a church we're not doing this. We, we that's it's not quite that black and white. Um, but uh, but I'm I'm conscious that this could become more a norm in our culture that we actually yeah. keep sharpening each other and spurring each other on. Um, yeah. But we talk about giving feedback sometimes
1: as well. Does that relate to this passage? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I, I think this is specific, a specific kind of feedback to do with when you see somebody doing something wrong. And yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm not saying we never do it in the church. I, I just, I, I, I think we tend to avoid it generally though. Maybe I'm just projecting. Maybe that's just me. Uh but well, see I think that... you do it a
0: fair bit as well because I've seen you doing it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's interesting as well. But in our individualist society, we're a bit more like um in the Bible back at the time of before Noah, before Noah's flooded, actually the, the main sin of the people that's listed is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yes. And I think I think in our individualist society, what right have I got to tell you that what you're doing isn't right? Um, yeah, And that is that is an Aussie cultural thing.
2: I actually think it comes back to what we were talking about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, community. Mm-hmm. And I think, I actually think because, you know, like it's a, maybe it's an epiphany I've just had or something, I don't know, maybe it's from God. Um, I was just thinking about it, you know, like the reason we don't do it and we don't do it well is because we don't know each other well. And why don't we know each other well? It's because we don't do community well. Mm. So mm. I think until we do community well, I don't think the next bit will happen because it is, it's almost like we're strangers trying to correct each other rather than doing it from a loving community or brother and sister type thing. And I think that's probably the, the, the crux of the matter, not so much the fact that it's an anthema to modern society or anything like that. It's just the fact that we, we aren't brother and sister. Or brothers in this case, just brothers. But you know, we aren't we aren't family enough. Yeah. So I, I think I actually think it comes back to the fact that we don't do community well as a church because we don't go to community well. We don't do the next phase well, which is mm. correcting.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think they are also interlinked. In that, like if I if I come to you and say this is what I think. I'm seeing. Then, if I'm doing it well, it's actually going to build our relationship. And we get into real stuff, and we'll actually that'll actually help build community. Community mm-hmm. builds either by me telling you about uh, who I am through through either disclosure or feedback. Like that's they're the two, main two ways. I think this is the feedback side of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, it is absolutely true that. We we got to we got to it, it would be incredibly dangerous to have a community that hears all this and goes right we're going to do this and <laughs> and doesn't listen yeah. and doesn't and doesn't do the work to be community all of a sudden everybody's danger in danger of being sniped at with all the, mm-hmm. without people actually understanding what life is like for them but I, I, like I do think know. yeah I think they're related.
0: I like oh, yeah. what Paul was saying of this uh, choosing to be committed to each other uh, in community to, to love yep. and serve, committed to each other to be able to give some of this
2: because I think Matt um, um, from a senior pastor point of view, it's probably a bit different than from a congregational point of view is because you're known by everybody and you probably see more of everybody in some ways than most other people do, so you have you do have a connection, so from your point of view, it's probably not as obvious. From where I'm sort of standing, in some ways, as an outsider looking in to the community, um, hmm. and so for me, that that's what I see. So hmm. I see the fact that we're not community. So because we're not, well, we're not a good community, like we want to be, hmm. and because of that, we actually to do what you're asking, yeah, they are interrelated, I agree with you, to do what you want, to do what the, the, the passage says is just, would end up a snipe fest if you be called it. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Okay, Matt, you, you you asked the congregation a question. It was, um, how do you manage conflict? And this was also quite telling for our hmm. congregation. Well, I think we had 40 responses out of, oh, I think we had about 80 or 90 people in, in the two different congregations. So the question was, how do you handle conflict? You've got a slide you can pop up, and then I can actually tell you what the
1: question properly was. Uh, so that, it was based on these conflict management styles, uh, competing, collaborating, accommodating, avoiding, or compromise. And, uh, yeah, the question was, what is your conflict management style? Hmm. And uh, Maybe it's worth going back to the previous slide because it's helpful
0: just to define these a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, you'll notice that there's a continuum at the bottom um, and on the left side. So at the bottom, it's, it's talking about the importance of the relationship. So if we have very little re- relationship, then I'll just avoid conflict because it's not worth it um, or I don't have enough relationship to, to get into something serious. Um, but on the right side, um, the more important the relationship is, the more accommodating you are. And accommodating means that one party yields the win to the other party. Because um, the relationship's worth more than the issue that you're trying to work through. Uh, but you'll notice on the left side also it talks about the importance of the goal from low to high. And if if a goal is really important, and and there you know serving the kingdom is pretty important, but putting away the putting away your dirty mugs after you might not be so important. So if it's just about the mugs, you might avoid the conflict. If it is something really significant for the kingdom, then then you might come in big guns, and that's the competing side. Um, but it's got collaboration in the top right where when it's really important and the relationship's important, then we, can, we collaborate. But it talks about these five different ways of, of managing conflict. So the next slide then, Matt, unless someone wants to say anything on that one. But the next slide, and I apologise for those who are listening rather than watching, but it says, what is your conflict management style? And 20 people in the church who answered out of the 40... It's more than forty, isn't it? Um, but twenty of them said, uh, which is around about a third, uh, said that they avoid conflict, and and a lot of them said, well, it depends what the conflict is, if it, how important it is. But but normally my default is that I'll avoid. Um, we only got to vote once each on our devices too, so so no one got to actually flood the, flood one of the columns. Yeah, but you'll see um, the next biggest being that people will compromise or accommodate. Uh, or compete and then the the last one is the um, collaborate which is an active dialogue between the parties to a, to a point of resolution where everyone is content with the answer maybe not yeah. happy but but content that we've got to place anything you guys want to throw into that one
1: just uh, it's, it's interesting being a Baptist Church uh, where the majority of us are avoiding conflict um, hmm. so if all this stuff we're saying is true and the importance of um, being community, th- I think this just indicates to us we, we've got we've got some work to do uh, to be real uh, with each other and to really wrestle stuff through. Uh, and and for me, this this is a core core stuff. Jesus is uh, really only calling us into conflict in this one instance when it's for the sake of another person. Uh, I think we go into conflict for all the wrong reasons normally, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it does feel like uh, th- that. That that was useful feedback. To say okay, uh, more than a more than a third, probably close to a half of our people would either uh, avoid it completely or cede the ground to the other person, and uh, I forget the name of it, but accommodate. Yeah, accommodate. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that's that, that was yeah, challenging.
2: I think it would be interesting, though, if you re- redid that survey with two questions, like, there's a church split about to happen. What would you try and do to, to you know, what's your response then? It'd be interesting to see what the answer would be, as opposed to uh, the toilet roll only gets changed once a month. You know, like, it'd, it'd be interesting to see whether there'd be, like, if it was something like Dan was saying that... Um, you know something trivial most people would go avoid mm. but if it was something like a church split or you know a major conflict people would want to collaborate or they'd definitely be either up high in the um compete box or the what was the bottom box i what like that one was called mm. um yeah yeah so they'd be on the edge somewhere so i actually think that's really interesting and i hadn't thought about it because it is so contextually your response and it's a bit like when you do personality surveys, it depends on whether you're doing it as a work person or as a home person. You can get different answers. And I think I think looking at that now, it is you could use the data to say stuff, but I think also the data is is nefarious in some ways because it wasn't based around a question in particular, you know, like a response to a particular
1: the, the, the research behind the thing is that most of us have a home base for all conflict, like a standard way of responding to conflict. And in framing the question, what I ask people to do is think about a stressful situation or a stressful kind of conflict, not just a, a, a light one but a, a significant one. So, so, yeah, you might get a different answer if you have a specific uh, instance in mind. But the, apparently, the research indicates that for most of us, we have we have a stand like a a default. Mm-hmm. Uh, um,
0: yeah. yeah, 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 and yeah. and then, and then we have to fight past that de- default reaction That's to right. actually choose choose our action.
2: I, I don't think I, I listened to it, but I don't think I understood the. I didn't understand you're asking for a stressful situation question, and from yeah. the feedback Dan just gave me do think many people did that's all i was trying to
1: get to so hmm. I, yeah I, yeah yeah. that's fair not an official survey we'll call it that uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. yes it's it's not valid scientific data it's just a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it, it is a, it's a good indication and, and just gets us thinking about for us for me for for you for all of us What what's our default and what does that mean when it comes to this thing that jesus is asking us to do mm-hmm.
2: I think if it's a sorry, I'm just gonna. I think if it's a uh, survey based upon one's immediate reaction, I actually think it's a very good survey for the church, is mm-hmm. because avoid, in some ways, is just that grace thing being, it, it, you know, extend extended, isn't it? In most cases, you go, oh, I don't like you said, I don't agree with it, but is it worth fighting over? Is mm-hmm. it worth a war over? No, I'll just avoid it. So I think that's.
0: That's a,
2: actually a good grace response in that case. Can be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Coming back to this passage then. So so we, we come at this first one. So if, if another believer sins or sins against you, and they're, and they're two different ways of, of looking at it, uh, then it says go privately and point out the offense. What's the value of going privately and pointing out the offense?
1: What I love about this whole approach from Jesus is the minimum number of people necessary need to know about this Hmm. Uh, because it is all about the the person and not about you and your frustrations. Hmm. Uh, It's about what is going to help the person. Uh, And so uh, if what you're talking about is somebody making choices that are taking them away from God, uh, then... talking to anybody but the person is gossip and then somebody else needs to be talking to you uh, because you are sinning Uh but yeah yeah, so that so so it's a it's right the way through it is clearly a restorative process aimed at the person and not aimed at you know alleviating people's discomfort or frustration So I'll often want to
0: give someone feedback because they annoy me, or because I'm not getting my way, or because, and and so I'll, I'll often have my own emotions really tainting the way I go go and talk to that person. So yeah. I'll I'll want to fix them so that I feel better, or so that I get less annoyed, and and that's a real battle to work through. And and I like in this passage, I would always encourage someone why don't you go and journal about this, write down what you think their perspective might be, why are they choosing this behaviour or where's this behaviour coming from? Possibly have a guess. Um, and, and so, Matt, Matt, you said talking to someone else might be gossip. There there are times when it's actually good to go and talk to someone else about the situation say, so how do I give this feedback? As long as it's growth promoting for the individual mm. that you're going to talk to. I, I don't want to come out of my own frustration and blast this person. So, can I just talk to you about what I think the issue is, and see if we can work it out a bit more, and then I'll go and talk to them. But, but you're right. The other stuff is just gossip and go in their back. I, I like the old fish and chip shop sort of sign that I've seen in a few places. If you, if you love our food, tell everyone, and if you don't, come and talk to us quietly, and uh, and mm. let us fix it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I love that thing of respecting, it's, res, it's respecting the human in this. Mm. Mm.
2: Yeah, I, I just think um, when you go to talk to somebody, it should be on the basis of trying to understand where they're coming from first. Yeah, and I think if you do it under that, like don't go there with any of your preconceptions. That's the thing you have to leave at your door. Listen to their story, mm. and then see if you still really struggle with it, or or, str- or how you're struggling with it. Or if you still, if it is still a sin, then you can actually. Tell it in a context, I think, is the big thing. And that's where it comes back to me. You've got to know the person unless you sit down and listen. And Matt said, you know, you've got to do it in love. Like, you know, One Corinthians, you've got to do it, all that. And I think, I think it does work. But it's not just you telling them about a sin. It's you listening to their story and then telling them that, I really, that you really said, well, does God have you looked at this or something like that? I think it's a longer process than just telling them, I and mean, I think that's the, that's the key to it
0: all. Yeah. Yeah. Can I go for another example? There was one youth worker who had amazing youth work skills. Everyone loved having him around. Um, he was a lot of fun, but also really good at discipline and keeping things on track. So he was a, he was a really strong youth worker and had a real heart for the for these young people. But i noticed a few times on this is way back when facebook was very early there were a few late saturday night posts where he was obviously a bit under the weather where he where would had too much to drink and he was posting on facebook some some pretty inappropriate comments and stuff that were obviously from from beyond his control because he, he was under the influence of alcohol and and so it wasn't right, even though within our environment he was always perfect and a, you know an amazing youth worker in our in our setting. I noticed that there was something else going on, and as a as a concerned brother, I I, I went and talked to this guy just to, a, about how it's not okay to to be lost in alcohol to like yeah. that and to continue doing what you're doing. Um, and we talked about the reasons why it was important that he was a positive role model Uh, we didn't just talk about hiding his behavior with alcohol but actually what's going on for you why are you seeking it and so we actually worked through a fair bit of journey um alcohol had a pretty hard hold of him and in the end we couldn't have him as a youth worker anymore but Mm. there was this journey of trying to help keep him in the fold keep him on the straight and narrow um and I, i i've God spoke to me at that time, well, I believe God spoke to me at that time, just about in Corinthians it talks about there, is, there, is, um, there are some pots that are used for noble purposes and others for, for for ignoble, I think it says in one version. And and I kept saying to this guy, if if you can't set your life apart for God, he can't use you to your full potential for, this, for the kingdom and for these young people that you care about, he actually can't. Yeah use you the way that you want to because you're not holy and set apart for him so that for it was one example of this now that there was only one other person who knew that i was having these conversations with him we did keep it quiet i wanted this guy to be able to come back yeah we we weren't covering it up and hiding it that's the other part of spiritual abuse is the whole hiding it um and keeping it yeah so so for me that was that was one clear moment of trying to help someone stay on the stay on track
2: yeah And absolutely. it sounds like you did an awesome job of it too the outcome wasn't what you wanted but you no. did the process was awesome
0: yeah well yeah but it's not quite that great <laughs> yeah but it, mm. but that's
2: what this passage is talking about yeah, he,
0: to him, yeah. He, and and he agreed he he knew it was right and he felt defenseless to it at times as well and couldn't hold it together yeah. Yeah. So, and I, that I, is
1: to the church. Yeah, that is one thing I, I, I mentioned in passing. I probably would have liked to. i more supposed to talk about it. Is in situations where people kind of know they're doing the wrong thing, but feel powerless about it, or don't have control, or repeatedly have patterns that are unhealthy or unhelpful, um, then. Chances are it's tapping into some historic stuff to do with trauma or other stuff, and they probably need help. Like there's addiction or there's something going on. And we need to, we need to find ways of standing with people, not just writing them off, but to stand and make sure they get the help they want if they want it. Yeah. Um, that's part of the challenge of all this stuff.
0: And my experience has been that when you call out the behaviour that they've been struggling with, they're actually oh, finally someone I can talk to about this because it's been really an issue hmm. for me, and it just opens up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so when they we we need to finish soon, but but it, the, this passage then goes on. Okay, so they don't listen to you. They say basically, get stuffed. No, I'm I'm all right. What what right have you got to pry into my life, um, or something like that, and then. Hmm. Yeah, and then so you take a couple of people back and you say, well, here's what we've seen. Is this true? You try and get down to it. Again, this is not about control and getting justice, but about helping the person find their way mm-hmm. through it. Yeah, so I love coming to the passage from that.
1: And, now and and, All the way through, it's about yeah. whether they listen or not. It's not about, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's, it's it is. It's about the response in them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I think the last part of this is that, that we should explain is if a person still refuses to listen, um, take your case to the church, and then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Hmm. What's,
1: what does that bit mean? Well, there's two things about it. One is you need to understand this last bit. So, so telling it to the church is not a church service necessarily. It, it The example we have in uh, the New Testament is the the Jerusalem Council and the the church really wrestling through. Okay, what do we do with this stuff together? Um, uh, But, and, and it's not, you're not telling it to the church in order to shame or punish somebody. You're telling it to the church in order to convince them. And so, and they're saying, and if they still won't listen to the church, treat them as a. pagan or a tax collector that that treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector that instruction isn't given to the church that instruction is given to the person who started this by going to them to the person who took the first initiative to restore this is not a warrant for a church to excommunicate somebody this is not a it is saying how the person who takes the first initiative is to treat them and what does it mean to treat someone as a pagan or a tax, tax collector well, it, you treat them like Jesus treated tax collectors. You love them. They, all the way through, what is their agency is respected in this. You, that, their choice doesn't get taken away from them. They get to choose to leave. Uh, and the respo- and, and at that point, they're choosing to leave the church. Uh, but the church, and, and particularly the, the person who had this initial response is not to write them off but to to reach out to them stay in relationship and and to and it is not to say they can't come back but it is to be a response of love but also a recognition that uh they are making a choice that to to change the nature of their relationship at that point Mm -hmm. but it's their choice not the church's choice is, is is what is, is what is clear and the, the text isn't actually directed to the church there's other other verses that seem to indicate something more like excommunication in Corinthians and other places um, but but this is not this is a text that's often used for excommunication and it's not for that it, mm. it, 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 Jesus isn't teaching excommunication in this uh, and it's clear uh, that what that person becomes, is somebody who has wandered away and only a couple of verses earlier in verse 12 jesus has talked about somebody who wanders away and his attitude to somebody who wanders away he loves them and is ready to leave the 99 to go and find them and so it's been criminal in my view the way that people have used this passage to write people off You don't get to be a follower of Jesus and write people off.
2: (laughs) Can I just ask you a question? And it's a hypothetical. I'm going to use hypothetical um, because I can't think of another example. Uh, If someone is speeding, how would that play out in this example, in this passage? How would you see that play out? Uh, where, where they go oh, where they go oh mate it's only 5k over the or it's only 10k over the how would that play out so they're not they're speeding but you know within reasons for whatever are the better terms? how would you how would well, you see that thing?
1: well my guess is there's a reason behind it all uh and there's a journey like this is this is clearly something that happens over a period of time um but i think it, it's you you are in dangerous territory if you are knowingly doing something you know is wrong and and you've had people being confronting with you and saying look do you think it's right to be a follower of jesus and acting that way like i yeah i'd be surprised if uh speeding got there but it may it it may be indicating something else that's going on in your heart if it's speeding like there may be something else like is speed is it really truly necessary to speed the question now part of the challenge is most of us don't really stop and think about it we just this is the whole point of this stuff most of us act in ways where we where we implicitly say some sins are better than worse than others or better than others uh and we let each other off the hook um, and, 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 and I think Ephesians would indicate that would be partially the reason we're, we're a lot of immature Christians. So we're, not, we're not facing the parts of us that want to get away with sin. Uh, and so, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there, there is a danger if what you're wanting to say is, is that it's okay to knowingly do something you know is wrong. I think that, that that I think that is dangerous territory
0: yeah yeah oh, we'll, um, we'll we'll finish up it's a good question I don't know where to go from there but um one thing that I think is nice from this is I w- I would choose to be committed to a community that had this as part of their of, of mm. their makeup as a community, where if you see something that's going on, you're worried about it, go and talk to them about it. Um Don't avoid, don't hide, don't just um shy away and hope someone else will do it. Mm. I, I'd I'd like to think that if I if I was going in the wrong direction, someone would someone would care for me enough that they would actually come and have that chat. Yeah, and that they'd do it respectfully, which means just come talk first to me, and then it, you know from really not listening, then get some support. But mm. but we're in a community that is committed to each other. And I, I think that phrase that you said, I've heard it twice now, that that we want to raise a mature um, kingdom community, which mm. means we're actually helping each other take responsible for our behaviour. So it, it would be an immaturity for me to just continue speeding willy-nilly. Um, I It'll become habitual, um, mm. but, but I would much rather have that part of my life conforming to what we as a nation have agreed is safe. But, I mean, speeding's a hard one, uh, for
1: example. It's, it's a great I one because it's, 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 a, it's a one that's easy to ignore, isn't it? Yeah.
2: I just mm. think what you said earlier, though, Dan, to finish off there, was I'd be happy to be in a community like that to, as well. Hmm. But the, it comes back. To the question is, how do we get to be a community like that? Doesn't it?
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. What actions do we have to take as an individual and a collective to become a community like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think this is why I, I love Matthew eighteen. I think it comes back to the the love and the little ones and putting yourself out for the, you know, being being more like. Kids and not seeking to be state. Like, I think I really do think Matthew eighteen is a recipe for that kind of community. We're talking about one aspect of it this time, but it, it's all stuff that is so confronting for how we do ch- church and do life. It is Jesus is describing a set of values that call us out big time in our in our Western society. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I'd like to finish just reading James five. We read this at our young adults group. We we meet on Monday nights every second week and do a Bible study. We've been looking through James. It's been really nice doing it with the what are they, seventeen to twenty three year old sort of age group. And it, and um, James five nineteen it says in the New Living Translation um, translation, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. It, it, again, it's just this love for each other, wanting yeah. the best for each other, wanting people not to be lost. Yeah. So I, I think unless you guys want to chuck something else in, I think we'll finish there. No, great, got the big head shake from both. So we're thankful <laughs> that you've joined us today on the podcast. Um, and we Um, We would love to see your comments down below. You can try and jot out a few more examples uh tell us a bit of a story where you've experienced this um yeah so and
2: we'll look forward to seeing you again next tuesday